Samuel, <clears throat> excuse me. There we go, that's better. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to go ahead and begin in verse 1. <clears throat> A very familiar passage um, in Samuel 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 1 there and read through verse 10. The Bible says, Now the Philistine, Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shokal, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shokal and Azekah in Ephes Damon. <laughs> they got some beauties in here. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. There was a valley between them. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am, I, am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me, and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him, and kill him, then shall ye be our servants, and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Before I get into the message, I want to share just a couple of things with you. First of all, we still can't get into the carousel even though we've owned it for two weeks. I went to get in today just for the first time and the keys are all the wrong keys. They gave us the keys to their new building. And so we had about 20 keys to a new building, but uh, hopefully we'll get the keys soon. Secondly, I want to invite every man uh, in our church, and every woman even, to join my class at 7 o'clock on um, Monday, uh, Monday evenings at 7. Um, I'm going to do something a little different. It's going to be on leadership. I believe there's a number of men that could benefit, and I believe even a number of ladies that could benefit from the leadership course. Normally, the course costs $45. I'm going to give it, let you come and take it for 20 You won't get credit for it, but if you just want to come for the class, you'll get 20 I do expect you to buy the books, and I'll expect you to do the work. If you don't want to do that, I don't want you in the class. But I, I really want to take this opportunity to train and teach a little bit on leadership. I have, uh, obviously, I believe one of the things lacking in churches across America is leadership. And I don't want that to be the case at Community Baptist. And if you're interested in taking the class, we'll just make it $20. You say, why are you charging it all? Well, because if I don't, you probably won't finish. 
or you probably won't really work hard at it. It's got to cost you something, or usually it doesn't mean anything to you. So at least $20. I'm going to charge you 20 bucks for the class. The books will probably realistically be about $30, I think. And uh, it'll be, so it'll be about 50 bucks total for the whole semester, which is really reasonable. You'll come away with two good books, and uh, you'll, uh, uh, I believe, come away with a tremendous amount of information and uh, be encouraged by it. So if you're able to take it at 7 o'clock on Mondays, I, I'd encourage you to be out there, uh, be a part of it. I know you say that's a lot of extra stuff. I'm already very busy. I, I realize that. And if you can't make it, I understand. But I'm, just, I'm offering it to you at least at a cut rate. And if you're in the school already, too bad. You're stuck. But uh, you, you, you get to pay full price because yours is being credited and counted and all. But I do want to give you an opportunity to uh, take this class because I'm that convinced that it can be very helpful to a number of men and ladies in our church. And a lady said, well, why should I take leadership? Well, there's a number of people you need to lead in your life. Uh, it, to say the least, uh, uh, I mean, you, you, you know, there's other ladies that you can lead. There are children you can lead. There are, I mean, through your life as a mom and as a grandma and as a, a leader in the church, there's so many people you can touch and so many people you can help. So if you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love to have you. I'm going to ask that you uh, uh, let us know. Contact the office. Let us know. We have a special little form we'll have you fill out. It'll be separate. It won't be like the regular college form. Just one class, 7 o'clock, Monday evenings. Okay, well, anyway, <clears throat> I thought I'd share that. I just want to open that up to you. I just think it's important that we, we do that. Okay, um, if you have questions, let me know. Give me a call or something, or, and I'll, I'll answer any questions you have the uh, best I can. Okay, First Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> We've already read the passage, verses 1 through 10, and of course... This is one of those very familiar passages. You know, we begin to deal and talk about uh, uh, Goliath, this great giant in the Bible. And, of course, uh, we know that there's a battle that's uh, preparing to be fought. There's a, uh, uh, an army on one side of a valley, and on the other side there's another army. So we have the Philistines, we have the Israelites. And uh, there in the midst of that uh, um, uh, conflict is a giant. And if ultimately he goes down into the valley... And we know that for 40 days he, he, he shows himself there and he cries out. And he basically cries out and says, give me a man. I want a man that will stand up to me. Give me one of your great uh, warriors. I'll represent the Philistines. You represent Israel. Whoever wins the battle will uh, be superior to the other. The, the other nation will serve that nation. Instead of all of our warriors dying, let's just have a one-on-one, a mano-a-mano, man-on-man, one-on-one, we'll deal with this thing. Of course, they, 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 they didn't really keep their word, but nonetheless, we see that, that he's looking for a man. And I like what he says there. He, he makes it very clear in verse 10, and he says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Give me a man. And um, that's exactly what Goliath got. He got a man that day. I know David wasn't much to look at, and he, he wasn't really necessarily the largest, most strongest man in the, the camp. But if anything, he, he was just puny. He was probably very small in relationship to some of the fighting men that had been trained through the years and prepared for battle and had even experienced battle firsthand. David wasn't a warrior. David was just a, a shepherd boy. David was caring for the sheep of his father. But David was a man when it was all said and done. David, although young and although not very large, not very uh, uh, strong necessarily, he was a man. 
Now, in our culture, in our society, we get the idea that a man is the one who's got the biggest muscles. A man's the one who has the most kids. A man's the one that somehow, you know, uh, uh, has the most girls. You know, he's a man. Look at him. Wow. But that's not what being a man's all about. There's a lot of other aspects to being a man, and we're going to see that, that David possesses some qualities and characteristics that I believe today that many a man needs, and many even a woman needs today. Um, America is desperate for men, and they're desperate really for women too. And we've got a lot of little boys and girls running around. You know, those that look like men and those that try to act like men, but when it comes to push and shove, they don't really live like men. You know the kind I'm talking about. You know the kind that run out and grab a little girl and get her pregnant and they have a child together and then he leaves her. You know those kind. You know they look like men and they want to believe they're men, but they don't act much like one. You know, that's what we're dealing with. And we're dealing with, with women today the same way. You know, they want to play around, mess around, do things, and be little kids. And they don't really want to be mamas. They want to take care of their husbands. They, they want to go out and play all the time. You know, they want to take care of their God-given responsibilities. They'll whine and cry about what they have to do and what they don't have to do. Hey, it's one thing to, to, to try to be a woman. It's another thing to be one. It's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. And I think today in our passage in 1 Samuel, we see a young man... That, became, that, that literally uh, blossomed in, the, in front of a, an entire nation. I mean, he, he went from being that little fellow back there taking care of the sheep to being a great man, a warrior in Israel. He was a man because he was a man inside. Being a man or being a woman is not about being out here. It's about in here. And what we're going to find is that David had some characteristics and qualities that made him a man. And uh, so tonight, I just want to share a couple of those qualities and characteristics. Because, see, when the Bible talks about Goliath, and it says that Goliath said, Give me a man. Goliath in the Bible was a type of Antichrist. Goliath in the Bible is basically, as you will, then a type of Satan himself. And I'm going to tell you something. The fact is, is that Satan is looking for some men, too. He's looking for some women. And, and I'm concerned today. I'm concerned that the ones that really are men aren't showing up in church anymore. They're giving their life to the devil. He's finding some men. And I think as Christians, we need to start looking for some men and women. I mean, we need to be on the prowl. We need to be out there winning people to Christ of all different sects and all different economic levels and all different uh, kinds of folks. We've got, we got a, a, a culture that is devoid of character. And as a result, we have so few men. But hold on. What few men there are, those are the ones that will make good preachers. Those are the ones that make good Bible class leaders. Those are the ones that will make good bus captains. Those are the ones that will make good husbands. Those are the ones that will get the work done that God intended for a man to do. The problem today is, graduating out of our Bible colleges and coming out of our homes, unfortunately, and out of our churches are a bunch of little boys trying to act like men and a bunch of little girls trying to pretend they're women. And as a result, they don't take their responsibility serious enough. They don't fulfill the command and the will of God in their lives. Now, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm concerned today because I believe we have a real void 
in our churches because we're not raising up men and women of character. Because we lack it ourselves. And so what I want to share today is just four simple characteristics and qualities that David demonstrated that each and every one of us would be good to demonstrate as well. First of all, David was a man of courage. He was a man of courage. It wasn't that awfully long ago. I guess it's been almost ten years ago now. We had just moved into this building and we had turned the basement into offices where the the four and five-year-old classes are now and the two and threes. That's where we had our, our offices in there. So I had a little secretary room. We had my office in the back. And uh, uh, I remember one day sitting at my desk there in the office, and, and, and I, I heard this roaring, a roaring in my ear. I looked up, and when I looked up, I saw one of the meanest, nastiest, most heinous-looking creatures I'd ever seen. Face to face, there it was, staring eye to eye with me, a mammoth bumblebee. I mean mammoth. It had to be that long. When I looked up, I mean to tell you, I, I, I just, I, I mean, I wigged out. I flipped out. I freaked out. I did everything you could imagine. I was like, whoa, and I was going crazy. I was like, you know, and it just, and then I snuck out. I was bobbing and weaving, going out the door. I went out into the, the secretary's office, and there the secretary was. said, what in the world's going on? I said, man, there's a man-eater in there. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, man, there's this huge bumblebee in there. It about, I mean, it was almost landed on me. She's like, well, come on in. Let's take care of that thing. She went on in there and got this, we got this can of something. She got this can of something and we're walking around. She walked right by and I noticed it was sitting right on, the, right on my bookshelf there as I walked by. I said, whoa, whoa. I said, there it is, there it is, there it is. She walked over there and sprayed it. Shh. Killed it. A woman of courage. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I was scared to death of that bumblebee, let alone a big giant. I mean, a 10-foot giant carrying around a big weaver's beam for a spear and a 30-pound uh, piece of rock at the end that's sharp, ready to cut somebody. I mean, can you imagine that? You're going to try to throw a football. doesn't weigh hardly even a pound. This dude's throwing a 30-some-pound spear. An amazing, amazing warrior. And I think about courage. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 11, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Man, when he would come down that valley and he started to, to just rail on God and rail on the armies of Israel, man, they got scared. They were afraid. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were so afraid. <laughs> they didn't mess around. I mean, they heard him and they're like, Oh no, oh no, it's Goliath. And they look, There he is! There he is! They'd hide from him. They were so afraid. I mean, here this giant was. He was there in that valley. He was defying the armies of the living God. He was making fun of their, their God. He was, he was uh, making uh, just a joke of their armies, calling them names. They were so afraid and they hid themselves from Him. They ran from Him. But David was a man of courage. 
He again might not have been the most prepared warrior. He had never been to any of their, their, their uh, soldier schools. He hadn't learned the arts of warfare. But David had some courage. He had some backbone. David heard those words and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. We're talking about Saul, who was probably, he was a head taller than all the others. He was more than likely closer to 6'2", maybe 6'6", when all the others, he might even have been as high, as tall as seven foot himself. And yet here's David, probably no more than five and a half, six feet at the most. Just a young man taking care of his father's sheep. Never had held a spear, never had wielded a sword, never had held a shield. But he had some courage. He couldn't stand by and watch and listen as this Philistine defied his God. There he is talking to this warrior who is king of all Israel who's led so many battles and had so many victories. And he says to him, Let no man's heart fail because of this giant. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Should have been Saul carrying a sword. It should have been one of the men of war that carried the sword down into the valley to defeat this Goliath. But they were all afraid and they all fled. But David, he was a man of courage. We live in a generation and a day when Satan and his are mocking the people of God. They mock God Himself. They make fun of the Word of God. They tell people it isn't true anymore. Instead of us doing something about it, instead of us taking the gospel to a world that's lost, instead of us standing on behalf of the Word of God and what it stands for, what it means, we just cower down behind everybody or anything that we can just to be out of the line of sight or out of the line of fire. Boy, God's looking for some men and women of courage. Do you, you, know, why, you know why so many parents are bad parents in our minds? Or we would view them as parents that are neglectful or irresponsible. Do you want to know why? Because they don't have the courage to stand up to their kids. They're afraid of what might happen if they actually set the law, lay the law down. No courage. No courage. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You want to be a kind of a kind of Christian that God wants you to be, accomplish what God intends you to accomplish, you better have some courage. You're going to have to stand and fight. It's going to cost something to live for God. A man of courage. Number two, he was a man of conviction. A man of conviction. On 7 March, 1526, the Zurich Council had passed an edict that made adult rebaptism punishable by drowning. On the 5th of January, 1527, Felix Mance became the first casualty of that edict. He was also the first Swiss Anabaptist to be martyred at the hands of other Protestants. Other Protestants were killing true believers. <laughs> killing them. While well, Mance stated that he wished to bring together those who were willing to accept Christ, obey the Word, and follow in His footsteps, to unite with these by baptism and to leave the rest in their present conviction. 
Zwigli and the council accused him of obstinately refusing, quote, to recede from his error and caprice. At 3 p.m., as he was led from the Wellenberg, uh, led from the Wellingburg to a boat, he praised God and preached to the people. A reform minister went along with him, seeking to silence him and hoping to give him an opportunity to recant. You know, to, to say, well, you're right, okay, I'm wrong, you're right. I was wrong, I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been rebaptized, I shouldn't be rebaptizing others. But this is interesting to me. Mance's brother and his mother encouraged him to stand firm and suffer for Jesus' sake. Wow. You talk about courage. His own mother. Don't recant. Don't, don't take back your words, son. Stand for what you believe. Even if it costs you your life. Wow, Mom, that's not only courage, but she obviously had some convictions herself. And Mance did not bend. He didn't break. He didn't recant. He held his ground and he stayed firm on what he believed and what the Bible taught. He was taken by boat under the river Lamat. His hands were bound and pulled behind his knees and a pole was placed between them. He was executed by drowning. They row and row out to the middle of the lake and then they would just push him off into the water. There with his hands bound behind his legs, he tumbled into the water where he met his Lord. His property was confiscated by the government of Zurich. And he was ultimately buried in St. Jacob's Cemetery. What of his family? It's the price of conviction. He could have easily justified recanting. He could have said, well, you know, here's my mom, my brother, and others in my family. I could easily say that I could do more for the cause of Christ if I was living than if I was dead. But he had convictions. He had beliefs he was willing to die for. We lack conviction in 2012. Folks in the believing community today around, at least in the United States of America, don't know what it is to really have conviction. You know, we use a certain Bible until it becomes uncomfortable or unfashionable. Then we'll switch. That even costs us our life. It just costs us a little bit of our, maybe our reputation. People say, well, you know, only those that are ignorant of the truth would use a King James Bible. I mean, anybody has got any education or any, any, you know, any kind of understanding at all would know that every Bible has error in it. You're foolish for believing that. And there are preachers for fear of being labeled as ignorant, stupid, dumb. Throw away their Bibles and pick up other ones. Because they want to fit in with the educated crowd. You better have some convictions in your life. And I bring it down to where we live. Is it any wonder that our children fail to follow the Lord? When they see us acting and living a certain way in this place. 
but not demonstrating and abiding in those very convictions at home. When we'll sit in our Sunday school classes and tell everybody why it's wrong to look and watch certain things, but then we'll live opposite and watch our R-rated movies and involve ourselves in the kind of conversation and the kind of actions and things that really don't align themselves with good godly living. And we wonder why we can't instill faith in our children. When church isn't any more important than going to a ball game. Now you, you here tonight. But folks, convictions are important in our life. We need to believe something. And we need to allow it to affect how we live. David said, I, I'm convicted. In his case, in 1 Samuel 17, 28 and 29, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why, canst thou, uh, why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I mean, because I want to go fight a Philistine that's mocking the God of Israel, that's making fun of the armies of Israel, because I want to do something about a big mouth giant. I'm prideful and arrogant. It seems to me that somebody ought to stand up and do something. Is there not a cause? Am I doing it simply to get a reputation and a name? Doesn't somebody have to shut him up? He was a man of conviction. We're seeing the direction of our culture and our society. So sensuous, sinful, wicked. And the way they dress little girls up today is just downright... It's unfathomable at times. I'm amazed. Sadly enough, we think it's cute. Because some little girl that's seven or six or five is up on a stage somewhere or on some program dancing like she's 23 trying to provoke a man into a relationship. I, I think that we're, we've lost sight of what God intends us to believe and how we're to appropriate those truths. There is nothing that is good about a young girl looking like somebody that should be standing on a street corner in New York City. We have no convictions. And then we have no courage because we're afraid to say no to our children today. I know that as parents it's hard. We all struggle. It's always difficult. We do eventually have to confront. I understand that we want to be patient and let God's work in their lives and bring about conviction, but there are some things that need to be addressed at some point. You can't continue to allow it to go on forever. That's okay. Nobody's perfect. There's no perfect parents. There's no perfect kids. We're just people. But as believers, there are some things that the Holy Spirit as a parent shares with us question is, are we willing to be courageous enough to confront? 
and have the convictions to stand on it. I mean, it's, it's not easy. But what are we going to do? Let them make all the choices? Let the inmates run the asylum? I'm not being mean, but teenagers and children, they don't understand what life's about yet. That's why God gave them parents. true in our own lives as dads and moms and as husbands and wives too. David was a man of conviction. A man of conviction. Number three, we have to move quickly. He was a man of confidence. I, I, like, I like that he was a man of confidence. Now, let's, let's note the sound of confidence. Can we note the sound of confidence? Let's note it right now. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 36, listen to the sound of confidence. Here it is. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. Here it is now. Here's the sound of confidence. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. That's what it sounds like right there. Somebody had a little confidence. He said, I've been around the block. I may not have ever held a shield and wielded a sword and threw a spear, but I know something about defending what I love. I've watched the lion and I've watched the bear and I've protected my sheep as a result of it. And just like they went down, he's going down. Hold on. That's the sound of confidence. But that's not where it ends. I want you now to see the source of his confidence. Let's see the source of it. In Samuel 17, verse 46 now, notice that David makes the statement... This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Notice again the source of his confidence the Lord. There's nothing wrong with confidence as long as it's in the Lord. That's good confidence. That's confidence that enables us to overcome the devil. See, that's the confidence that says things like, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I will overcome with God's help. Oh yeah, the Lord will deliver the carousel into our hands. See, that's what we're talking about. The source. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul, when's the last time you said, Paul, you're such a prideful, arrogant preacher? Anybody ever said that when they read that passage? Paul, you're so prideful, you're so arrogant. You're all about yourself. Think you're so big. No, nobody's ever said that. Because everybody understands that Paul has a walk with God. And that his confidence is rooted in Christ. Do you know why we got problems today in the pulpit and we got problems in the pew? It's because 
our confidence is not rooted in the Lord. We think because we have a good voice, we deserve to sing. That, well, you're lucky I sing for you. We think because we can teach Sunday school well, we can speak well, that teaching is something that should just be given to us. We believe that because we have the gift of gab or the ability to uh, uh, charismatic uh, personality that surely a bus route ought to be mine because I can get a million kids to come in. We keep forgetting where the confidence is, the source of it is, though. Right. We hear the sound of confidence all the time in America. We've got these young people over here. We're getting ready to play some basketball in a basketball league. You hear these young people all the time. Oh, I'm really, uh, I'm bad news. I'm good. I'm going to talk and smack. You know, they're always talking smack. How are they going to put you down, work on you, tear you up? When you hear the sound of confidence, you don't see much of the source anymore. You know why? Two simple words. Here they are now. Prayer and the Word. They're lacking in our lives. We can go ahead and talk all we want, pretend we're so godly and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. Our confidence is most often found in our flesh. We spend so little time in this book, so little time on our knees. When's the last time you really begged God to work in your life so that you would be fruitful in your ministry? When's the last time you begged? When's the last time you got on your knees or on your face before God and wept because you felt so inadequate in yourself and then rose up off your knees with a confidence that said, I can do all things? It's because we have no walk with God. It's all done in our own ability and our own strength all too often. And I know that that's not always the case. And I, I believe in our church we have people that really serve God and love the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. But beware, even if that's you today, how quickly that can change. The devil wants us to be deceived into believing somehow that we can do it without the Lord. When we rise up in the morning and we get started on our day without ever communicating with him, then we have already fallen into that trap. And I don't care how much you believe yourself to be godly because you can quote a million scriptures. If you haven't started today with God with you, and I promise you, you're still alone. You say, well, I know what I'm talking about because I've been saved and He's with me always. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Yeah, but you left Him. You better start drawing nigh. And if you will, He'll draw nigh to you. I can't afford... To go through life without the Lord. I'll lose my mind. I'll lose my wife. I'll lose my children. I'll lose my sanity. Say, as a crutch. You go ahead and live your life without him, but I'll just take it all all day long. I I want him in my life. I, I can't do it without him. Can't do what I do without him. I just can't do it. We see the sound of confidence. We note the sound and we, hear the, we see the source of his confidence. Finally, let me just close this down. He's a man of character. So we see that he's a man of courage, a man of conviction, a, a, a man of, of confidence, and he is a man of character. We don't have much time, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but let me just say it this way. David finished the job he started. 
Here's what he did in 1 Samuel 17, 50, 51. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Notice it wasn't until after he cut his head off. See, they just assumed that he was knocked out. They assumed that he just had a, took a bad shot. That David got lucky. But when David took that old sword out of that sheath, I can only imagine he struggled to even get it up off the ground a little bit. And he took all the strength he had to lift that bad boy up. And then he just kind of let it drop down on the head. Whoosh! Off came the head of that giant. Do you realize how sharp the sword must have been? And secondly, how heavy it must have been for that head to come off so easily. David could have walked away, but the job wasn't complete. Someone would say, but he was already dead, wasn't he? The Bible says that he slew him, and then turned around and said he slew him again. So what was it? What I know is is this. The moment that head came off, everybody knew he was dead. David wanted to make sure that the job was completed. That it had the full impact that it was supposed to have. He didn't stop short. He went all the way. Character. Philip Brooks said, Character may be manifested in the great moments. But it is made in the small ones. It's made in the small ones. Character is made in cleaning your room. Picking up your toys. Character is made taking a bath when you're supposed to take a bath when you're a kid. Characters made eating those vegetables when you don't want to eat them. Is it any wonder we don't have character today in our culture? We don't have parents that are willing to do the same? Parents say, I won't eat that junk. I don't care if I'm over at somebody's house or not. I won't eat it. I don't like it. I don't care if they serve me that junk. I ain't eating. I'll just tell them I don't like it. You know, I found out a long time ago, when someone puts food in front of you, you eat it. You may not even agree with it. It may not be your favorite. Unless it's going to make me literally vomit, I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. Because that's just what I was taught. Now listen, you say, well, that's not how I was taught. All I'm saying is this. Look at our culture. You'll notice that most people today, very few have that kind of, character, to do what they don't feel like doing. It's not about eating food on your plate, but it's, a, it's just a symptom as we look at things. We realize that people are unwilling to do what they are uncomfortable with. They have to be comfortable. I won't eat anything I don't like. I won't go anywhere I don't like. I won't do anything I don't like. I won't push myself. I won't force myself. I won't make myself. If I don't want to, I won't. I won't put up with that. I won't put up with this. I won't put up with you. It's always about 
David finished the job. It was a bloody job. It wasn't a pretty job, but he did the job. David, if he signed up for the nursery, would be in the nursery when he's supposed to be there and wouldn't call sick. David would be there to clean the church when he said he was going to clean the church because he was a man, a woman of character. David's out soul winning for the Lord because he knows the Lord bought him with a price. He's going to do what God wants him to do because he said, I know I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel comfortable at that door. But I also know that there's people dying and going to hell and it's not about me. David had character that made him do things... Enabled him to do things when he didn't feel like doing it. Some of you have been to college. How'd it feel? Wasn't always pleasant, was it? All them tests and you're trying to work and you're doing all this junk. Takes some character to get through it. You've got to do things you don't feel like doing. You've got to lose some sleep and you've got to stay up late. You want to know something? That's what's lacking in our marriages today. It's what's lacking in our parenting. It's what's lacking in our service in the Lord. It's what's lacking in our pulpits. Across America, there's a void also of character. I could say honestly, there's very few people in the world with courage, with conviction. Very few people in the world today, at least in America, that possess confidence, godly now confidence, and character. I want to encourage you to possess those qualities, to work at them in your life. Some of you that are older have, I'm sure, uh, you know, obtained many of those. You, you are men and women of courage. You do have convictions. I trust that's the case. You, you do have some character. But in my life, I come up against things every day and I've got to renew my commitment in those areas. I've got to every day say to myself at times, when I face things in this world, I say to myself, I've got to stand courageously. I, I, I've got to. I've I just got to have some convictions in some areas. I can't let this go by. I know in my heart it's right. I've got to stand. It takes courage and conviction. And I've got to know that God's with me through it all. And once again say, Lord, I can't do it without you. I'm nothing. I need you. And then do what's even uncomfortable so often. I didn't feel like getting up on the 1st of January. I was up after 2 in the morning. I was in the office at 6.30. I didn't feel like it. That's what I got to do. Because that's what I got to do. You know what? You do the same thing so often. But let's make sure that when we're doing those things, let's, let's do those kind of things for Him too. Not just because we get to spend an extra hour with our hubby or our wife. Not just because we get to do something that's comfortable and fun. Because we get to stay out with our friends and enjoy ourselves. Then we've got to get up and go to work because we've got to make money. Let's have the Christian character we ought to have. 
to put forth the same character and the same effort toward the things of God. God help us to have these qualities. You know why? Because the devil's he's looking for a man. Give me a man, he says. Let's possess those qualities. And today, if you possess them, here's what I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that if you possess those qualities in the valley today, there's a devil that's calling for you to join him. Give me a man, he says. Because he wants the same man that God's looking for. A man of character. Let's give our character. Let's give our convictions. Let's make our life his. Give him our best. And not give Satan the best. Because one day in heaven, none of this will mean anything. Unless it's for the Lord Jesus. Father, we